The Steve Lobby Agency presents The Christian Publishing Show, a podcast for writers who want to advance Christ's kingdom using the written word. Here's your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. Slip time stories are a hot trend right now in publishing, and we have an amazing guest to talk about how to write slip time and how to write better slip time. She's a New York Times bestselling author whose novel Once Upon a Prince was made into a Hallmark movie. She's also won many awards, and she is currently writing from quarantine in a location in sunny central Florida. Rachel Hauk, welcome to the Christian Publishing Show. Thank you for having me. I love being here. So tell us a little bit about how you got your first book contract. Uh, Actually, that was at a conference. And I met someone and she said, hey, let's write a book together. And it was one of those little heart song romances. Very cool. And it was, so you're at, how long had you been writing at that point when you went to that conference? Probably about nine years, but not consecutively. I had written a book. Ended up in the old closet, a World War II tome <laughs> that was well-rejected. And then um, I met her at a conference, and she talked to her editor, and they decided to have me write with them, write together. It's incredible how common the story is. Uh, many authors, the reason why they're struggling is that they're unwilling to put away that first book. And for almost every author, they have to put the first book away. And I should ask, have you ever resurrected that book? Now that you're a successful author, New York Times, did you resurrect it or is it still in the closet? Yes, I used part of it for Love Starts With L. I had a character who was writing a book and I didn't have time to invent a book for him to invent. So I stole from myself. <laughs> so you took your terrible initial book and gave it to one of the characters in your story and let them write a, 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 the book. That's funny. I will tell you this. There are moments of genius in that book that I've not recreated. There's moments of badness that I'm glad to have eliminated. But that book has some really nice spots in it. That's cool. So uh, let's get into talking about slip time fiction. What is slip time fiction? Well, first of all, slight correction, it's split with a T, not a P. And the reason why slip time indicates like maybe time travel, like the characters can slip through time. Split time is a story told in two different timelines. And one is usually historical and one is usually contemporary. But there are some authors like Beatrice Williams who might tell a story separated by two years. And so... It's just a story told in dual time. So why did you start writing your stories with two timelines? Why make your life harder having to keep track of two (laughs) different sets of characters? I thought maybe I was making my life easier. (laughs) I had read Shape of Mercy by Susan Meisner, and I loved that book. And it was set in the Salem Witch Trials and then Contemporary California And I was so fascinated by looking at history through the lens of this modern character. And I loved being in the heart and mind of those historical characters at the same time. And so when I came to write the wedding dress, I wanted to have the beginning of the dress, but then I wanted to have the character who just found the dress and didn't know anything about it. And I also love the idea of thinking, what did my grandmother do in 1920 that shaped my life today? What did your grandfather do 
or your aunt or your uncle or your parents do in a time when you weren't alive that shaped your life today? And if you could look at it, wouldn't you want to? And so that is my big fascination with split time. Yeah. And it's really fascinating. And, and it's interesting to watch split time because it's a trend, not just in books, but also in TV shows. There's a lot of TV shows that are written with a split time strategy. I think Lost has that, right? You're seeing the character today and then you're seeing that same character in their previous life. Uh, Once Upon a Time, uh, I think is what it's called. Um, the one with the fairy tale creatures in modern day. Uh, that's split time. Even the superhero films or shows. So Arrow, famous uh, superhero TV show, started a whole cinematic uh, universe in the DC universe. So it's all different uh, characters than Marvel. I'm a Marvel man myself. As am I. But that's written in split time as well. So um, I feel like this is new. Like if you go back 20, 30 years, while well, split time books did exist and uh, they weren't as popular and the TV shows definitely weren't doing it as much. So why do you think that this trend is kind of surging right now? I will say why I think it's trended in movies and television. It's the ability to make a character look younger, skinnier. Look at Captain America was a skinny little kid. And then he becomes this really bulked up guy. And we have the ability to change the hue of the screen. So it looks different. So you can tell you're maybe set back in 1970 versus 2020 or whatever. And fiction, I think that people like it. Uh, and then I think authors are always looking for a unique hook. What can I do that sets me apart? And they've also read Split Time. They liked it. And they had developed a story that fit that genre I believe that's the main reason that split time fiction is on the rise. Yeah. What are some of the challenges that authors face when they're writing split time? That's a really good question. I think the biggest challenge is to make sure that every character has their own story and that you tell it so uniquely, but you have to come up with the hook end at the end that makes the stories connect. And that's the hardest part. It can't always be grandmother, granddaughter. And you have <laughs> to find some unique way to make the stories align. But what does the modern character do to impact the character of the past? And what does the character of the past do that impacts the character of the present? And you have to sow those little seeds through every storyline and I think that's the big challenge. So how does the modern character affect the character in the past without time travel? Very good question. And if you've read my book, The Writing Disc. <laughs> <laughs> so what I did with The Writing Disc was the character in the past had an unfulfilled dream. And the character in the present learned about it, found that book that was never published, and published it for her. So it's posthumously, but... She fulfilled her dream. So it can be done. I've proved it. That's very cool. There, there's this concept in the Bible that there's nothing new under the sun. And this idea of kind of generational um, quests, so to speak, uh, is not at all new. 
uh, although it feels new to us as Americans because it's a bit new to our culture potentially. Uh, but with the Roman, ancient Romans, this was not new at all. You know, the sons would take on their father's name. They would take on their father's um, political alliances, take on their father's patrons. And in the front room of every Roman home, at least with wealthy Roman homes, you'd have this like gallery of heroes where you'd have masks uh, and, or statues of all of the ancestors and their titles and their accomplishments. And you grew up walking through this home and these all all of these men potentially had your same name right and you were seen as them you were seen as this continuation of them and that you had to honor them with your actions it's one of the reasons why roman soldiers were so courageous in battle because they didn't want to dishonor all of those ancestors in that room that they walked through and also while they were so ambitious it was the seeds of their greatness and also the seeds of their uh, decline and it's interesting to see that because as Americans, we long to be Romans, right? We style our architecture after Rome. We vote in Latin. Uh, you know, we have a Senate. No one had a Senate for 2,000 years. We brought the Senate back. <laughs> so all, none of this was by mistake. And so it's interesting, you know, hundreds of years after we created our government, now other aspects of Roman culture are seeping back into American culture. I absolutely love that. I've got story idea pop in my head. <laughs> <laughs> like the son who sees all the masks or the daughter sees all the masks of the men and goes, how am I going to fit in? Right. Yeah, I will say, cause it was definitely, it was the men. It was the mass of the mix. Roman culture was uh, very chauvinistic. <laughs> they didn't invent chauvinism, but they leaned really heavily into it. Do you know what though? They did have some rights for women kind of as long as the husband approved and we see that in the scriptures, too, with the Lydia, the seller of purple. She was a very wealthy, successful businesswoman. So they did have more freedom for women than we might imagine, but not like today. It's true. And they also had a form of monogamy, which is really good uh, for women. So instead of one powerful man gathering all of the women for himself, which was kind of the, the norm in those days, they're like, maybe that's a bad idea for society. And it turned out it was a bad idea. It is a bad idea. <laughs> anyway, yes. back, back I, I could talk Roman history uh, all day. But this I would is listen the, to that show. <laughs> this is the Christian Publishing Show. Um, so now let's go back into split time. What are some of the roadblocks to watch out for? What are some like signs you're like, oh, this person didn't do their research writing this story? Uh, what, are, what are some of those kind of warning signs? Anytime you're writing a historical part, you have to do your research. I would say for some authors, you have to be careful that you're not really writing an historical novel. So even your historical part has to be accurate, has to be right for the time, but it's got to have a little bit of a modern flair to it, like Downton Abbey. Historical show, but it feels modern. And so I feel like you have to watch out for that. And you have to stay in the voice of that period, whatever you're writing in. For the contemporary part, same thing. She can't know what you know about that character in the past. So there's always a tendency to overtell. And I think there's a tendency to not be creative with how you thread the hints of the past in the modern story. And you really have to look for those little echoes and those little places where you're going to have that contemporary character discover bits and pieces about the character in the past. 
Because modern Americans aren't reminded about their ancestors very often. We don't spend no. much time thinking about our ancestors. We don't have the hall of statues to walk through. We don't. Our way into the house. Uh, we don't share the name uh, of our ancestors the same way uh, that was done in, in olden times. And so it, I feel like it can be really contrived, right? You have some character who seems like obsessed with their ancestors and like that doesn't typically happen until right. Very true. Life. They get very uh, genealogy focused often. And they, it, it, which is useful for their children, right? Cause they gather all of the genealogies, both of my great grand or two of my four great grandfathers uh, shortly before they died, put memoirs together and gathered all of this genealogy nice. information uh, together, which is really helpful. But your normal 20 something romance character is not that way. <laughs> She's not digging through Ancestry.com trying to find about, out about her ancestors. I think that's really true. What a great point. Also, you have to realize that contemporary character has issues. She's got problems. And she's not concerned about whatever great Aunt Betty had. She's concerned about her own thing or her own goal. So in the memory house, the heroine is... Uh, Oh, she's an angry, bitter cop in New York City. She finds out that she's inherited this house in Florida. She's also suspended from the job for punching a perp. And when she gets this house, she's like, what? I don't even remember this lady. She does have memory issues, which is part of the story. So she goes down to check out the house. And all she's asking is, why did this woman, I can't remember, leave me her house? And that's really what the story is about. And so it does put her in there. But at the same time, she doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. And it's, you know, one of those ways you're talking about make that old story modern. The yes. way that you do that is that you have them have normal struggles. There's this thinking that, oh, people in the good old days, quote unquote, good old days, they didn't struggle with sin the way that we struggle with sin. They didn't have the same temptations that we had. You know, the, and like that is hogwash. <laughs> Every <laughs> so generation true. has its own challenges. And each generation's challenges aren't that different from the previous generation's challenges, especially at the like local level in the sense of like your life and your family's life. Societies occasionally will repent from things and stay repented from those things for a while. So like Western civilization now has had to repent from slavery twice. <laughs> so yes. the, the Catholic church did a big push against slavery in the late 700s, 800s, 900s. Um, and for a while you could only, you couldn't enslave Christians, but you could enslave non-Christians. So the Slavs uh, from Eastern Europe were the only ones you could enslave because they were the only non-Christians around, which is where the term slave comes from because it was the Slavs that were being imprisoned. But then the Catholic church wow. finally a bosh on that. And then for like 500 glorious years, there was no slavery. I mean, we had peasants and serfs, so we only half half repented. But then, you know, the 1600s roll around and we're doing it all over again. <laughs> it takes another 400 years to repent from it. But if you look at an individual person's life, they're struggling with lust or with greed or with pride or with anger or with, with some sin that's been done to them they're working through. That's the same stuff. If you look at the sermons that were preached a thousand years ago, they're not that different from the sermons today. And that's how you make these old, quote unquote, old people seem modern. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that's so cool about a show like Downton Abbey is that they embrace ideas of women having more freedoms. Women can run the estate. Obviously, they dealt with a form of homosexuality 
on Downton Abbey, and no matter how you personally might feel about it, or even abortion on, they dealt with abortion on Downton Abbey, no matter how you might feel about it, they made it feel modern. And so I think you take your issues and you deal with them, just like Thomas was saying, like a human being would deal with it. How do you feel when you have an unwanted pregnancy? It's the same in 2020, believe it or not, as in 1820 or 1920. We still deal with it the same way. That's right. And and people weren't glum back in the day. <laughs> no. Were because they don't smile for the photos, but it's because it took so long for the picture to be made <laughs> or even longer for the painting to be made. And so you had to hold your face in a relaxed position. Uh, they, it's not, you know, those were smiling, happy, normal people. And if you read their writings, if you read their journals, you see that they had happy times and sad times. They had pandemics, just like we have pandemics, right? They have pandemics. It's a perfect time to write a split-time novel between uh, somebody whose ancestor went through the um, uh, Spanish flu or the Black Death, and now they're going through those same things, those same fears, the same reactions. You know, quarantining is not some new thing we just came up with. You know, this has been how humans have fought uh, viruses for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And uh, there's nothing new under the sun. And I think that concept of nothing new being under the sun is the heart of split time stories. Because while the settings change and the characters change, what God is doing in our lives and what the characters are struggling with, that doesn't change. And it's, I think it's really refreshing to see, oh, here's how they would have handled it in this older time. Absolutely. I had a woman in Germany write me after she read the writing desk. And she felt so connected to my Gilded Age character, Birdie, that it inspired her to chase a dream that she had let die for 40 years. But because that character was real, it impacted her life, even though she didn't know what an iPhone was or a television or anything like that. Yeah, that's really good. Are there any mistakes that you see specifically Christian authors make writing split time, like kind of uh, common mistakes that are unique to the Christian writer? I don't think they would be unique just in split time. I think they're unique to the Christian writer, and that's that we put our Christian message in front of the story. The story has to come first, and the message comes organically. I never start with a Christian message I don't start with a Bible verse. I start with a story. And all the while I'm going, God, what do you want me to say in this story? How do you want me to reflect heaven in this story? And if I never say Jesus is Lord, you are still reflected in this story because I'm reflected in this story. So I think for all writers in the Christian market, let the story breathe and then let God and the Holy Spirit fill the cracks. Show, don't tell. <laughs> Show, don't tell. That's true. And that's hard. That's hard. It is. Although it's the essence of being a witness, right? We're talking about witnessing for Christ. Witnessing means you're showing what you've seen. You're like, this is what I've seen. You're showing that. It, and it's more powerful. It's harder, but it's more powerful. Isn't that what St. Francis of Assisi said? Something like that. Preach, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Yeah, and there's there's definitely a time uh, to use words, but when you are crafting a story, 
you have so much power over the whole universe. You're able to craft this whole universe. You're able to create people. Uh, it's it you know in, in a sense you know when God created Adam, one of his first instructions to Adam was to name the animals. Right, it was an act of creation. It's one of the things that sets us apart from the beasts is that we can create. Right, we we can be gods. Lowercase g. You know, Jesus said, quoting the Psalms, you know, you are you are gods. You know, just to, to befuddle the Pharisees who had no idea what he was talking about, but they couldn't argue with him because it's from the Psalms. Right, but we have the ability to be lowercase gods lowercase g gods of our stories. And that is a huge responsibility, right? We, we must be um, Christ-like as we do that. And, uh, that, you know, how do you navigate that as a Christian author? Like I said, I am always praying. But I have this great example. I was, I'm also a worship leader for people who don't know. And last summer, while I was writing, I was also watching Worship You, which comes out of Bethel Music, out of Redding, California. I was watching it kind of at the same time. They were live streaming some of the sessions. And um, Brian Johnson got up and played a song. He said, I've written a country song. And he was asking Chris Tomlin to help him finish it right there <laughs> on the spot. And as he was playing this song, just a love song about a couple who live their whole lives together, I started weeping. And I felt the presence of God. And God wasn't mentioned at all but he came off the heart of the songwriter and the singer. And so I feel like that's one of the things we do as Christian authors. People will feel the presence of the Lord as we tell our stories in him. I say, if I'm seated with Christ and my characters are seated in me, then my characters are seated in Christ. (laughs) Or at least near him. Near him. Yeah, near him. Good enough. Uh, I did want to say one thing. For split-time authors or someone who's interested in writing split-time, make sure you tell a whole story on the historical side as well as the contemporary side, and then leave that room at the end to join the stories. So you're looking at a 100,000-word-plus novel. You're not going to tell it in 80,000 words or 90. You're not going to tell it well anyway. So make sure you tell a whole story. I think that's one of the challenges that we face. Yeah. Is, is split time different at all for Christian authors because you have God as a character who's in presumably both stories to one degree or another, which you don't have in secular uh, split time? Like, how is that different or is it not really that different? It can be different. But the thing you have to realize is not every character can have a spiritual epiphany. So you usually have four characters, two heroes and two heroines in a split time novel. So you have to do the whole romance for two couples. And you also have to have some revelation of God in each storyline, but pick the one that's predominant. And usually it'll be the contemporary character, and she will tie the story together. All right. We're, we're almost out of time, but I do want to talk a little bit about the pandemic because I feel like this is something that's on everyone's minds. You're writing during the pandemic or you're promoting, you know, what tips do you have for other writers whose lives have been, you know, thrown up in the air and everything is different than it was just a few months ago? I want to say a couple things about that. Like looking over the last 15 years, there's a lot of things that have happened. You know, the crash in 08, um, the war, just various things that have happened. And I'm sitting here writing a book about American girl who falls in love with a prince. I'm like, who cares? How is the world is falling apart? And I'm writing this fairy tale romance. 
but yet it impacts people heart, people's hearts and gives them hope. And so I feel like even in this season, write a story that gives people hope. Go to the Lord, get hope, and then write a story. And the good thing is, because we're all kind of sheltered in place, you're not going anywhere. So it's button chair, write your book. (laughs) All of your excuses have been taken away by the government. (laughs) That's right. No lunches, no meeting at the library, no writer's meetings, a lot of conferences and book shows have been canceled. So stay home, write your book, and give hope to people. Exactly, because people are looking for that escape. They're looking for that break, right? They're not necessarily looking for a pandemic book. Some p- people will be. I, th- I suspect zombie books and post-apocalyptic books will be good. But but I yeah. suspect even stronger, people are looking for that break from the news, that escape, that kind of serene, uh, grassy plain, that different experience, right? The um, Hobbit was written during uh, World War One. The Chronicles of Narnia were written shortly after World War Two. Right? It's during these times of I need an escape from this uh, that some of the best literature can be written. Yesterday, my husband and I pressure washed the outside of the house. It was an eight-hour job. I cleaned windows, and at some point, I started thinking, "Well, I got to work tomorrow. I got to start my rewrite." And I sat in the chair while my husband was working. And I was taking a break from my turn, and I started dreaming about the book. It was quiet outside except for the hum of the pressure washer. The wind was blowing, and I started thinking about my story. That's where the best ideas come from. So in this quiet, take advantage of it and go, I'm going to see past this virus into hope, and I'm going to dream about a story, and I'm going to write it. That's so good. And and one final encouragement, uh, TV shows and movies have all ceased production, right? Being on a film set is dangerous right now during the yeah. pandemic, which means no new movies are being made. Some of the ones that have already been made might be released, but depending on how long this lockdown happens and how long it takes for the films to start getting made again, people are going to need stories and <laughs> they're going to need stories. From the only people who are able to continue creating them, which is authors right now. Like, this is our moment as authors. And we're, some authors are going to rise and they're going to seize that moment. And other authors are going to huddle in fear, watching the news 24-7, hoping it will protect them. And let me tell you, the news is not going to protect you. Watching the news 24-7 is not going to make you any healthier. In fact, all of that anxiety, <laughs> all of that worry, all of that sadness and sorrow and hypothetical bad things that might happen in the future that you're you're thinking about and dwelling on today. Um, first off, you know, worrying and is against the teachings of Jesus. He said not to be anxious. <laughs> it's very clearly. Um, but but even so, doing that isn't going to make you any safer. It's not going to make you any better. And it will rob you of your joy and rob you of your energy that you could be using to write that next story. And that story that may give hope and help give escape to the people around you, you know who the first person is going to give hope and escape to? You. You, while you're writing. <laughs> That's <laughs> you, exactly right. You get to visit that fictional world first. This is a great thing about split time. You can actually look back at the Spanish flu and see how people survived or look back at World War One or World War Two, and look at how people survived and go, hey, I can survive too. 
one of the very first people drafted for World War One was my great grandfather. Really, and he likely was going to be killed in the trenches because he was one of the first ones to get shipped over. But while they were running parade, he collapsed, and he ended up being one of the very first people in his unit to get the Spanish flu. And he was one of the very first ones to recover from it. And so he spent the whole war as an orderly because he was immune, helping take care of the wounded. And he didn't get killed in the war. And I'm here <laughs> because of that. There you go. That is a great split time star <laughs> story. So anything you're welcome to steal that story from me. I'll be available for interviews. <laughs> Wait a All minute. Right. I have first dibs. Yeah, okay, Rachel, we got first dibs. <laughs> um, we're, we're almost out of time, uh, but real quick, where can people find out more about you, Rachel? On the web, www.rachelhauk.com. That's H-A-U-C-K. And I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, under my name. And we'll have links to all of those in the show notes. Uh, Rachel, any final tips or encouragement? Just keep writing. Don't get discouraged. Really. That is such a good tip, and it's one a lot of people share, and it's one we all need to keep uh, hearing. Our sponsor today is the Christian Writers Institute, and with the extension of Tax Day, we have extended the discount on the tax and legal bundle. <laughs> so everything is in flux. So we're trying to keep up with the Christian Writers Institute. Uh, so you can use your time of social distancing. This is a perfect time to learn about how to handle your taxes as an author. And the, the, the bundle is 80% off. And then we've also created a bundle, a Learn From Home bundle for fiction writers and for nonfiction writers, both of which are 80% off. So if you missed your writer's conference and you're needing some help, you're needing some training, we have bundles for you. And you can find out more at Christian Writers Institute. Dot com. Rachel Hauk, thank you so much for joining us today at the, on the Christian Publishing Show. Thank you for having me. I had a blast. Thank you for listening to the Christian Publishing Show. For more information and to get episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit christianpublishingshow.com.